This is the Future of Security Operations podcast brought to you by Tynes. This show is dedicated to empowering SecOps leaders to reimagine how their teams work so they can scale their security efforts and build a team that achieves more with less. In each episode, we'll learn from a security leader who has found a way to free their team from tedious manual tasks and remove the barriers that are preventing them from doing high value strategic work that truly matters. We'll learn from their mistakes, distill their best practices, and leave you with actionable insights that you can immediately put to work with your team. I'm your host, Thomas Kinsler, COO and co-founder of Tynes. Now, let's jump right into today's show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Future of Security Operations podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Ryan Noon, co-founder and CEO of Material Security. Uh, Ryan founded Material in 2017 after many years of working in operations and cybersecurity. Uh, Ryan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to be here, TK. Still still waking up, but I'm, I'm definitely alert-ish at this point. Thank you for joining us uh, joining us early on and uh, early on in your morning. And um, before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure. So yeah, um, I think the bio you read was was minimal, but uh, yeah. So I started this company in 2017. Uh, it was sort of a response to a bunch of the election hacks that happened in the U.S. in 2016. Uh, and I started it with some people that I, I worked with pretty closely when I was at Dropbox, where I I was a engineering person in in infrastructure for a long time, just like how you guys you know come out of DocuSign. We were down the street, uh, and so. Yeah, before that, I had a, a, a company that I started that Dropbox acquired in 2014 called Parastructure. That was like a you know security data analysis company that ran on you know Hadoop and all the big data stuff. That was really cool 11 years ago. Uh, and then before that, I was a, a first engineer coming out of grad school at a, a at a Stanford math department spin out. Uh, there's only been one, and so it was a bunch of mathematicians, and they hired me while I was a grad student because. I was the only one with a computer science background. <laughs> so, uh, and it was really fun. I had a ton of fun, you know, doing all this really high dimensional data analysis and stuff for a couple of years. But then I got the first employee blues and decided to start my own. <laughs> so, and then before that, yeah, I just was in school for two degrees and one recession. <laughs> so, you, you left Stanford, you joined this, uh, you joined the startup. Uh, and then after a little while, you left and you started Parastructure. Can you tell us a little bit about Parastructure? Yeah, so um, it's it's way more about like realizing in your career when you love different size companies and where you belong, you yeah. know. And and I meet a lot of people who their first job out of school is like working at like you know a Raytheon or something, some massive company, and then their next job is lower. You know, it's like like I went to a fifty thousand person company and I felt like I was having so much more impact. And you're like, oh god, like I wonder at your next job. And it's it's kind of like a get bisect. You know, where they're like, <laughs> they're, they're eventually trying to figure out where they belong, you know, in the ecosystem. And I just got lucky that my first job was uh, like, you know, pre-funding, like literally the lights in the office didn't work and would short out the inverters when you turned them on, you know, and it wasn't a garage because garages would have been better than that. Uh, and and I just loved it. And so, you know, after a couple of years, I was like, I... I like, you know, I think I wore the t-shirt that I made for the company yesterday to work, you know, and you're, and I wrote the interview plans and I built the servers in the kitchen after we moved to a house, you know, it was just like the best feeling ever. It's like, it's like, if you're the kind of person in grad school where you're like, I just want to work on my project and I want to work on it every quarter. And why am I even in school? Like startups are, are you're going to like them. 
And yep. so when I started my own, it was like, in many ways, like I, I didn't know anything about like markets or products or whatever. I just like wanted to work on what I wanted to work on. And I was pretty sure it would be a big deal just based on like the amount of like, uh, you know, accidental product management and customer success I'd been doing at the previous job. And so it was all about like large amounts of crappy data, right? That like there was good tooling, you know, like like Tableau and stuff like that for mm -hmm. like well-structured, interesting data of reasonable size. Uh, but if you had like 10 petabytes of garbage, uh, it's not going to like fit in Splunk or something. Like, what are you going to do about it? Uh, and so I just kind of went crazy with it and kind of built this product that was like a interesting love child between like a, a Tableau and a Splunk and a Palantir, basically. Uh, and then you could run it on things that like were, you know, crappy big data stores. Like, you know, there was like, you know, Lucene grafted onto HDFS back in the day, right? There was like mm -hmm. uh, just HBase can do key values and scans. And how do you do that, right? It was like, how do you like use non-SQL, non-good big data infrastructure to build cool products. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it had a smaller TAM than either of our current companies because you had to have a Hadoop cluster to use it. But, uh, but you know, there was, that was like all the rage 10 years ago. Uh, and so it was, it was just a great, a great couple of years. Like I, I tell founders now that I meet like your first companies for practice, like, don't worry about it because <laughs> that was definitely the case over there. And like, luckily I had a good enough of an outcome and got acquired into Dropbox at series A and and you know spent a couple of years like learning how to be an actual professional to to an extent at least uh and so uh it was it was a happy story but um you know it was fun and and my one of my two co-founders now was my first employee from that company and stuff so uh nice. it was it was a good time nice I, like it actually sounds like the, the the dream journey i tell a lot of our investors that uh that don't worry this one's just for practice but they don't they don't actually believe well in, yeah uh, if these... my first one was as good as your first one yeah i'd probably feel differently but it's not it wasn't Power structure got acquired by Dropbox. In many ways, it feels like Dropbox is actually a pretty perfect place to uh, place to land for that sort of technology, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, we definitely had a very tall amount of crappy data, uh, and and I, I got there, and you know, I part of the sell to me to come there was, hey, we have thirty billion Excel documents, and you'll never have to look at a Hadoop cluster ever again. And the first part was true. Uh, the second part, they also had 12,000 nodes of Hadoop. And so okay. one of my jobs that I got put in charge of was like, you know, the you care and feeding of a data center worth of open source big data infrastructure. But uh, but no, I mean, it was cool. I got to work with everybody and, and you know, it was just, it was nice being like an engineering leader in like the part of the company that's really focused on like reliability and uptime and SLAs and stuff. Because like in startups, you don't, you don't, you know, you're, you're you're lucky if you get to the point where you have that kind of responsibility, mm -hmm. uh, and so it was it was a great opportunity for me to just work with like really high quality infrastructure folks uh, that had come out of like you know uh, Google and Facebook and stuff like that. I just learned a lot from them, and it was tough at the time, and I was I whined a lot, but I'm so glad that I spent a couple of years there. It was a great place, and the people were wonderful. Yeah, it also gives you a you know, obviously a huge sense of the importance of that uh, and of. Like yeah, reliability, especially when you're yeah, you're starting your own. So power structure, obviously, it's a uh, yeah, a lot more of an infrastructure company. How did you get into cybersecurity? So uh, my master's was actually in cybersecurity, uh, largely just because I'd done all the classes during undergrad, and they don't make you take the same classes again when you do a master's degree right after your undergrad at Stanford. And okay. so I just got to take a master's degree in electives, uh, which was really really bomb. I highly recommend doing grad school with all electives. Uh, but but I, I 
I'd always loved it. I mean, like I'm a systems person, like cybersecurity is just like, what if you take a very critical eye towards every system? You know, I'm, I tend to be more of like a, a builder and a creator and an optimist and less of like the true security engineer who just sees a house of lies for what it is and other in somebody else's crystal palace or whatever. But, uh, but I just, I always loved it. And then, you know, you're always like, thinking through it, uh, you know, and, and you, you see a system and you're like, ah, I bet I can fuzz that and whatever. And so uh, it was really the calling of like seeing how like torn up the world got in 16 and 17, just because like no one knew how to use these like platforms that had billions of users. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I, I don't know, I just, I, I, I went from a hobbyist to a hobbyist founder, to a founder, to someone who had something to contribute to something that I can occasionally portray as a thought leader. Uh, when I have a very, very accommodating podcast host. So. <laughs> I'll do my best. Um, th- th- so when you're referring to 2016, 2017, you're obviously referring to, uh, I suppose, your Russian APTs targeting the American elections and, well, cybersecurity being like going from certainly when I started, you know, telling my aunts and uncles, oh yeah, I'm working in cybersecurity. And they're like, oh, that sounds fab. To being like, whoa, wait a second, do you work in this area? Like that that was really a, such an impactful well, moment for security but also for the history of the world, right? Uh, yeah, it's like, it's super weird that like, you know, it, it seems to have, you know, as of as of this taping, uh, you know, the Western world has glued itself back together and seems to have a backbone and, and, and whatever. But it's super weird how much almost got wrecked by like some older gentleman with a Gmail account, you know, in terms of like things that mattered. Uh, and so I was just like, how how did it come to this? Like, why does the entire cybersecurity industry, which I knew, I, you know, I, I, yeah, like I knew a lot of the companies, a lot of the founders and like, there's this whole like dog and pony show at RSA that you have to wade through if you live and work in, in San Francisco. And I at least worked in San Francisco. And I'm like, how did none of these people care about something so consequential as this guy, you know, John Podesta, whose personal Gmail got owned? Like how many like AI network defense firewall human element is the element whatever rsa horseshit like actually you know let us down (laughs) you know and it's it's the same stuff that i think you get you know it's like yeah you need pragmatic stuff and like the cybersecurity industry is like self-obsessed and it's like largely outsourced r&d for a handful of like very large companies with very bad sales forces like i don't know (laughs) It's like it's easy, it's easy to hate, and and sixteen and seventeen gave most people who love the best parts of our civilization a reason to hate it, and I was one of those people. <laughs> and yeah, I went out and started a when I did start material. I suppose that that Podesta breach is obviously super yeah super relevant for the starting material like that. It was a for folks that may not have followed it uh, or may not have might not remember the specific of it. It's literally just like a, a a you logged in from a suspicious location linking to a bitly link that was yeah which in turn redirected to a, a phishing page and with no 2FA or anything they just took over John Podesta's account and then posted all the posted all the data on like sensitive data online right Yep. I mean, even non-sensitive stuff. Like I have a friend of a friend who was like taking his class at Georgetown yeah. and like, you know, that person's like mediocre essay was like leaked online, you know? <sighs> so some of the things that it taught us were like one, uh, Google and Microsoft are these like incredible choke points, like whatever parts of their roadmap uh, that they like don't execute on or don't care. Like most of cybersecurity is just a fire that is burning on a continent 
that they control, <laughs> you know? And so it was like, uh, but it also taught us when we started looking at it that like, you know, they have APIs that are pretty powerful and you can actually innovate on top of them if you're clever. So uh, we just kind of build, started building like really good security products on top of these platforms that frankly have like the vast, vast majority of the human race as like MAUs. Big platforms are, are great, but like you, you know, not all billion people have the same consequences if they get popped. And so maybe we should maybe be creative on the world's largest API canvas, you know? And so that's like where, we, where, we, where we've come to. If you go to our site, you know, it's just, we protect Microsoft and Google accounts. There's a bunch of different ways. Uh, emails, obviously, super, super popular uh, as a way to pop you and a way to steal your stuff. So um, so we focus on that a lot, but it's, it's a really, it's a broader, like, make these things good <laughs> play. Yeah, and like email's been around for, 30, 40 years. So it's not as if people haven't been trying to secure email and prevent phishing attacks for almost as long as that. When you were starting material, how, how did you think about it differently? And you mentioned APIs there, but like what 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 are the difference differentiators between like a material and a, a Mimecast or a Proofpoint or a, oh, you know, a FireEye or whatever? And I never get that question. So it's well, you know <laughs> I'm laying I'm laying you up here. <laughs> yeah, no. Um I yeah, I mean, so obviously like, the mission of Material is to protect Microsoft and Google accounts. Uh, mm -hmm. And then email is just, it's a couple things, you know, it's obviously like, it's a really awesome attack vector if you're a bad guy, like, you know, in our customer base right now, like there's literally Microsoft domains that are going nuts, like sending phishing emails from Microsoft.com right now. And it's like, okay, you know, like it's it's a really great attack vector, but it's also a really great, you know, target. It's like what you want in addition to how I get you. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the vast majority of the security industry is just focused on like, you know, email as an attack vector. But like if I pop your laptop and I like want something dope on it, like I've got your sessions, I can grab it. Uh, I've got your like PST files if you're an Outlook the client user, you know. So it's like it's like the cybersecurity industry broadly is like very focused on uh, two kinds of products, like things that go beep uh, and things that block stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Which is broadly like alerting and uh, firewalls, right? And so that's historically like, it's like they're like fundamentally kind of like NetSec abstractions. The point is uh, when the universe uh, and the market forces of cloud office hosting, I don't want to run my own email. I don't want to use my ISP's email. I want to give all my stuff to Microsoft and Google. When the universe gives you a platform that has really, really good APIs, the A in API uh, is application. And so you can kind of morph things from a NetSec worldview to an AppSec worldview and good things happen to you uh, from a tools that you have to work with perspective. Uh, it's just that most people don't think beyond like 50 year old NetSec abstractions, you know? So, so, so breaking this, breaking this down for folks, like the idea here is that like, if yeah, in the past, if somebody popped a, uh, like popped a, a mailbox, they'd be able to yeah, download the PSD or just yes, yeah, sync to Thunderbird or whatever. And you get the entire contents. And from there, you're able to find a whole load of, and this has happened plenty of times in my career and to probably every single listener here, if they've been in security for a while, like that entire mailbox is compromised along with a huge amount of sensitive data. But with material, you're able to, I suppose, not only prevent or sometimes prevent that from happening, but also you're able to protect the contents of the mailbox as well through modifying data in those in that mailbox using the APIs. Yeah. So I mean, one of our most popular products is is called, you know, data protection or leak prevention. And like the point is 
yeah, like if you want to have something that's like more resistant to like, you know, getting owned and you have, if you're like me and you have 20 years of data in your personal email uh, or incredibly sensitive stuff at work, then what you can do with us is uh, hook us up to the mailbox via the API. We'll walk through the whole history, you know, in you know, in the, in the system. We have a, a bunch of really cool data classification policy stuff, uh, and it'll find things that you wouldn't want to lose, and then it'll basically redact them in place, uh, and then put them behind like some challenge or some step up that the bad guy in your threat model can't do that you can. Like on my personal account, like we have a, a, a you know a, a beta going for 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 VIPs. If, if you know it works on personal accounts, like. I, it's hooked up to WebAuthn and Touch ID and Face ID. So like you have to have my ugly face or my ugly fingerprint if you want the sensitive stuff that's sitting in my personal email. And that's kind of nice, frankly, <laughs> you know? So, um, and I, and I don't, I'm not going to like delete it, right? Like I like, I like having this data, you know, like every DocuSign that I complete is just sitting there. I'm not going to like nuke every DocuSign, you know, no. but like the system can protect them. So honest, terrible, but I, I, Live in the US for a while and got my own social security number. But if you ask me for any information about that or an old copy of my passport or whatever, I will literally just, I know that I sent it to a particular bank manager at a particular time. And I, that's my storage system, that's, which is not healthy, but it's probably the easiest way of doing computers it. Computers so. doing their job, yeah. you know, like making your life easier so that you don't have to think. Like, remember Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade? Like, I wrote it in the book so I wouldn't have to remember, right? Like, that's. Yep. The whole point. <laughs> so uh, materials obviously focus on, and you have some incredible customers, and I'll definitely t- touch on that in a, in a little bit. But it sounds like then you're trialing it out for, is it like high net worth individuals or individuals who've invested in crypto and uh, are kind of no, panicked about uh, People who reach out and have a nice reason, basically. Or if you meet us in person, we all carry these like super cool QR code invite things uh, that are like, you know, it, like a Willy Wonka golden ticket kind of thing. Uh, but, but yeah, so if you, if you see a material person somewhere, uh, ask them for the Willy Wonka ticket, but we're, I mean, we're not a consumer focused company right now. We're just like, as like, we decided strategically to like, you know, go and sell to like really big, interesting companies that we could learn a lot from. And even from a brand perspective, if we were like LifeLock, if it did something, and then we tried to go and sell to like the people that, you know, we work with now, they'd be like, get out of here. Like you're for my scared grandma, you know? Uh, Whereas like by working with like the most hardcore folks, uh, you know, and as long as you don't like lose your soul and forget that consumers matter. And as long as you have a very open, like, if you need it, let me know. And, and whatever policy, uh, then, you know, that's kind of been the strategy over the last like two or three years. So um, it's just, it's, we, we say it's easier to go Goldman to grandma than grandma to Goldman. That's the saying that we, we use. Wow. So. That's uh, yeah. Nice. And uh, no offense to the grandmas who really, really are security uh, people. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I will get hate mail from them and they're, they've been around a while and they probably are pretty skilled at this point. And no offense to any of the uh, Norton LifeLock users out there who may uh, may be listening in. <laughs> Hacker um, grannies, man. Absolutely. You have a lot of like marquee customers in like the security space. If I if you ask me to name some of the most you know sophisticated security companies out there, I would name people like Stripe. I would name people like Mars or Databricks or Lyft or you know even security companies like Hacker One. How did you go about getting your first couple of customers, and how did they become like those? How do you start with those marquee customers? That's not normally how it uh, how it works. Well, I mean, this gets into like advice for people that are starting companies, which is just yep. like, and I guess if if someone is 
smart enough to listen to your podcast, then presumably they're interested in security and new things and having an impact, which if you mix all that together and you put a bunch of delusional, like I can do it in there, then you'll, you're going to get a bunch of founders, I guess. Um, but, but yeah, to actually answer your question, like the first like year or two, if not more of your company should primarily be spent on, Hey, can you give me feedback? Like I'm trying to make something. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, and the nice thing about like the best teams and the best people in the industry is that they want new things to happen. Like they actually want, like, you know, one of our angel investors, who's like a super amazing security luminary, like he's on our quote board uh, with like this dot, dot, dot deserves to be helped, you know? (laughs) And so like, you have to like bring somebody to the conversation. You can't be like a sponge, but the whole point is like, you are a, a needy, hungry little baby who like needs to get helped and cared for by the community, <laughs> basically. And like the more honest you are about that, like and the, the the way you find the balance between like, here are my ideas, like shoot them full of holes so as to strengthen them. Uh, and you know, like like if you can find that and not just like pretend that you've got like the AI that came from Mount Olympus or Mount Sinai or whatever, uh, or, or like that you don't know what you're doing. Like, you know, you know, give me, give me an idea. Like if you can find something in the middle there, like people will like these early adopter folks will like really latch on and help you. But then you have to earn that. You have to like build stuff. That's good. You have to work your ass off. If there's a bug early on, you have to fix it and you have to say sorry. And like, it sounds easy, but like, it's super hard to balance this cocktail you need like a strong team early on and you need like the right amount of focus. And like, you guys did the same thing, you know, <laughs> like, so, you know, this, you know, this journey. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, but I think it's what's interesting, I suppose, uh, that is that like, if that also involves like on the other hand, it's like some of the most sophisticated, like some of our listeners will hopefully be trying to work with cool people. And it's like, how do you go about doing that? And the answer is you have to be you know prepared to give feedback but also tolerate some bugs every now and then. Hopefully not at this uh, at this point. But there's a yeah, there is a real opportunity to shape and work with as an early adopter some of the most yeah some of the most sophisticated and cool up and coming startups, right? Yeah, I mean, all software has bugs. To be clear, it's just they yeah. have to become more more subtle <laughs> over time, yeah. less yeah. overt. You just have to make the software good, and you have to be able to like be enough of an extrovert to find the people and communicate what you're doing and to like try and help them and like learn what their priorities are. Like don't become a consulting company. Don't just go out and solve everyone's problems directly. Like you have to be like, that's a raw input into a product strategy, right? Product management is a real skill, (laughs) you know, but at the same time, like you have to, you can't just like jam your vision on them and expect them to like rewrite their entire stack, you know, to accommodate you. Your marketing is very different. What's inspired you to not go down the, like a lot of other security companies, either the crazy, you know, we can solve every single problem uh, or the security is scary. Like if you go to material.security, like you come across a, a lovely website, it's it's like a different, like there's a whole lot of customer love on it, but also, yeah, your, your branding, your your positioning is very different than uh, any, I suppose, many other companies in the security space. Yeah, I mean, so is yours, Mr. Pink yeah, Hoodie. No, so, yeah, that's true. There's a couple different ways to unpack this. Like, there is like the deep seated self hatred that the security industry ought to have, 
right? Like you can't possibly make anything better if you're not like full of, of a certain degree of self-loathing as an industry, right? Like uh, it's just a matter of whether that inspires you to action or just misery. Um, but so I, I think there's like, well, there's the values thing, right? Like you, you really mm-hmm. like it, it doesn't help anybody to like make it worse, you know, and we all know what makes it worse. Right. Uh, and then I think there's like just a, sh- a sheer marketing angle. And one of the things like even professional marketers, I think they get wrong is like when you don't know what works, like it's very natural human, like, you know, in, in, in human nature to do what everybody else is doing. Right. There's like safety in numbers, but like marketing is if you, the actual good marketer, if they're like, you know, thinking their best thoughts and being their best self, the whole point is to do what is different and to stand out. Like that should be obvious. And it's, you know, this doesn't mean like make your color scheme something that gives me a headache. And like, I've definitely seen, uh, you know, not just security companies, but like startups that, that do that. It looks like the, uh, you know, a color printer, like went to go visit Satan or whatever, you know, but like, uh, for, for me, it's like, what stands out in security is like, Hey, here's our product and what it does. And like, here are the people that care about it, you know? And it's sad that that stands out, but like, you know, if we're doing our job right, you and me, that won't stand out uh, and we'll lose, you know, our differentiation as a brand, but like at least security will be better. And so you gotta, you gotta pick your battles. Yep. Well, uh, I I'm not not terribly worried about it just yet. I haven't seen I haven't seen too many, but there's there's a couple of a uh, couple of great companies that are that are and, doing it. And and we were we're standing on the shoulders of giants here too. Yeah, there's a course. lot of just like people that are doing this right, and those giants know who they are, uh, Harun Mir. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I think he's even uh, even next level on this, to be honest. Um, he is. So I I want to touch on like you've had you you know you've. Uh, Got, got them as customers, but you also have the privilege of working with some of the smartest security companies and like CISOs and engineers and like directors of SecOps teams uh, in the world. Like there's a lot of people that are listening that, you know, work in other companies that maybe not quite as advanced. What, what, what have you learned from them? What, what do you think like some of their, like their approaches that are different might be? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, we, we, we've definitely built our product early on with some of the most like super hardcore people. And like, I will always be grateful for them, but there were also tons of people early yeah. on that like may have been forward thinking individuals or whatever, but they worked at like more traditional organizations. Like, mm-hmm. and we learned just as much from them, if not more so like, you know, like in cultural illusions that are complicated, like for every, you know, Christ, you need a St. Paul or whatever, right? You need someone to like, uh, you know, dumb it down for the Gentiles or whatever. Uh, and so like, yeah, like you, it, it takes all these people. I mean, our, our thing works on personal accounts and there's like, you know, super high risk, you know, like non-technical people that are our users all along. And so you, every single person that wants to teach you something probably has something to teach you, <laughs> you know? I mean, a lot of times the the super advanced organizations do have like problems that are from space by comparison, you know, mm-hmm. like and sometimes it's the future. Sometimes yeah. it's just a unique, like horrible threat landscape of like, oops, like we're sitting on, you know, billions of dollars of semi untraceable money. Like not, hopefully not everybody else is having that problem, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, so uh, but I mean, I think it's it's a lot of the same stuff that I think you guys really understand well, uh, which is like, hey, you you need automation, you need really good data, like you need to push complexity, you know, to the edge, like you need to bring the user into it, 
right? Like there's just like, no matter how smart or how well-staffed your team is, you can't be everywhere. Like the key strength of humanity zooming all the way out is that we are expert tool builders and expert tool users. We are the monkey that picked up the stick, you know, plus 200,000 years, you know? And so, uh, or I guess longer than that, we've been anatomically modern for 200,000 years, but the, the monkey stick thing I think was earlier. Um, but like the, the, the point is like, yeah, it's, it's really all of those things. Like you have to know what's going on. You have to be able to take action in mass quickly. Uh, and you have to be able to like create a culture, but also create workflows for the last mile, which is the actual people, <laughs> the actual users. So you need to be like the right amount of like turbo informed high priest, but you also need to have like godlike, you know, computer automation powers, but you also need to, to make, you know, to think like, you know, some super floofy doofy product manager about what like an ordinary user who's like working remotely in some random part of the country or the world, like, you know, needs to get done right now relative to security. And like, you know, not every team has all those superpowers, but the best ones can combine them and the best ones like have that vision and the best ones are willing to work with, you know, folks like, like you and me uh, to fill the gaps. And like, that's, that's how you win or that's how you not lose realistically in security. You don't have to be completely advanced everywhere. You have to be completely advanced in the place that your organization needs you to be completely advanced in. Like all these things are hard to do well. You're obviously running a, yeah, you're running a startup uh, and you've been like quite lean, which is incredible uh, compared to a lot of, uh, a lot of the folks who've taken the money and, you know, uh, invested extremely heavily. But like right now, there's a lot of uncertainty in the global economy and it's forced many people to rethink their strategies. And sometimes this intensive, challenges for security teams. So not many security teams have had layoffs, but certainly among, yeah, like there's, there's a, there's, a, it's not as quite as hot a, uh, a market for security jobs as it was, I suppose as a CEO in the security space, what are you, what are you saying and how are you approaching things? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously there's like the, the Silicon Valley startup ups and downs like this, yeah. the, you know, it looks like the, you know, the world, or at least, you know, my part of it is headed for like a major league, like meaningful recession, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in the near future. But in the tech industry, we've been having our 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 little horrible recession thing for, you know, a solid whatever, nine, 12 months now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, you know, getting worse. Like Microsoft just laid off 10,000 people and whatever, right? As like an operator of a company in this ecosystem, uh, we've largely been been spared, you know, major pain ourselves just because we were doing it dumb in quotation marks, you know, in the prior couple of years by being so conservative. Uh, and I used to get like made fun of by the VCs. And now they say, oh, I wish all my portfolio companies were like you. Uh, and so eat it, Valley, right? But uh, when it comes to our customers, like, you know, our, our, our non-tech customers, which is sadly like, you know, the most, most of our business, right? Is, yeah, yeah. is like people outside, outside our tech industry, uh, you know, they've, they're, 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 we're all watching stuff, but they're, they're really doing okay. It's really the, the, the tech company customers and they're, um, you know, we just, you just try to be as useful as you can and you just try and do your job, but more so, which is like, you know, add, add value, like make it possible to do more with less, you know, like it's, it's just, it's, it's tough. Like, you know, we, we're there for them, you know, and, and we're just 
trying to do it. You know, like there's, there was like one day and, and initially the layoffs were like, I guess we don't need as many recruiters and whatever. Right. But then the layoffs like started coming for the actual security teams. These are the people that like get paid the, the, the big bucks, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and we're like essentially unobtainium for like every tech company over the last couple of years. And then they're getting laid off. And I just like, I just feel super bad. And like, you know, and I'm, I'm, I always in my head try and keep like a, what orgs are in, in build mode and hiring or whatever. And I, I, I run like the world's jankiest, you know, like cybersecurity headhunter uh, that costs $0 in, you know, in Slack DMs with people and whatever. Uh, but yeah, it's, I, it's, it's very weird. Just like the, the crazy about face that's happened uh, here, you know, it's, it's strange. So, and you just really just try and do your job as a software company and make people's jobs easier, you know? Yep. Uh, and obviously allow them to like, to, yeah, to show value and allow them to say, Hey, like, this is actually a, this is a no brainer. This is a, you yeah. know, this is a really good investment and it's, it's helping our, helping our team and helping, you know, them, uh, focus on the much more important stuff and do more with that. Not necessarily do more with less, but do more with the same, same that they have. You obviously had a, you know, a vision for where email security would go. When you think about the future of security operations, what do you think like the security industry and security operations will look like in like five years time? Uh, I mean, I'm you know basically like a kindergartner talking to a college professor here when it comes to security operations because like I'm primarily an applications person uh, and I'm an infrastructure person. Uh, but but I I think these these like trends will of course continue. Like mm-hmm. whether you're uh, man, I wish we could hire people and we can't hire people or man, we can't even afford to hire people like doing more with less and like, you know, leveraging the underlying trends towards like better infrastructure, better automation, everything you need to protect, like the actual stack is more centralized than it used to be. So like you can go deeper on on all these things. How many, you know, like even from like a data analysis perspective, like this, the kind of sassification of IT and, 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 you know, security means that like, it's like you can probably guess the like endpoint thing they're using. You can probably guess like there's only two corpsec stacks, Google or Microsoft at this point, mm-hmm. you know, like so that consolidation means that like the ground is more fertile for like the kinds of stuff that that our companies do or like, you know, connectors for things like, you know, understanding like what's actually going on in different logs without having to like go full string parsing uh, in some horrible firewall from 20 years ago right so it's I, I think like the underlying trends favor better automation and more efficiency uh and i think the left hand was like okay well i can't hire a good sock maybe i should outsource it i don't even know how to do this i really need one or uh mm-hmm. you know that you know and then now the right hand is like i also don't have any money so i think you you put those hands together uh and i think you know it it's the the the, the future is accelerating you know yep so. i hear you uh, Ryan, I really enjoyed this discussion, but unfortunately, that's all we're going to have time for today. If people want to follow your journey, how do they? What's the best way to do it? Uh, you can friend me on LinkedIn. You can follow me on Twitter, where I rarely post. Uh, you can come to our website and submit the button to see a demo, and you might even get me. I don't know, but uh, but yeah, just just reach out. Or you can just email me, frankly, Ryan at Material Security. Like I do respond to email. Cool. All right. Thanks, Ryan. Yep. Thank you, man. This is a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to the Future of Security Operations podcast by Tynes. If you enjoyed today's show, please do us a favor and leave us a review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast platform. For additional episodes, visit tynes.com slash podcast. 
And if you'd like to learn more about how Tynes Automation Platform can transform your security operations team, visit Tynes.com. Thanks again, and I'll catch you on the next episode.